0: food is at the root here and again it, it, because I think at some of this is the most basic of things don't eat of the tree what's the big deal turn some stones into bread I mean just eat a little bit of bread what is the problem and isn't that true in your own lives all oh, the big sins I don't do those I'm not going to go commit adultery it's not right now I'm not going to go murder anybody how about a little anger in my heart how, how about any way in which the will of God is revealed to me in the truth of scripture and that's going to have to wait for next week
1: Hello and welcome again to Grace Merrillville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Riser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text.
0: And the Lord said to Satan, if you considered my servant Job, for there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him? And he goes on, Satan brazenly is in God's face. Sure. You say that Job is great. You say that he has great faith. You, you say he's a man of God. I tell you that you're the one protecting him. And if you were to remove that, he would curse you to your face. Satan in the face of God is word. Now, again, Satan has allowed this a period of time. And sometimes we wonder, we look around, we go, how can people be so much in the face of God? How can God allow this? He has chosen to do so. It reveals the nature of sin. will also reveal His power when He crushes it. He has chosen for this time to allow sin to have this kind of face. And we see here, I think, if if we're going to look at levels of evil, that Satan tops them all. Why? Because if we look, as we work through the book of Matthew, we're going to see other demonic beings that come face to face with Jesus. You know what most of them do? Most of them bow down. Most of them confess that he is the Holy One of God. Satan does not. In his arrogance, in his evil, in his pride, he does not bend the knee. He will, but he does not now. And this again reminds us of ourselves apart from Christ, does it not? This is what man is like. This is what he does. He reflects his father, the devil. Every person, not converted, is of his father the devil. And this is the kind of thing that is reflected in our society today ever more openly. This is the boldness of Satan. It is also the boldness of man apart from God. Imagine Satan walking up to the very son of God, the God-man whom he knows very well. And he understands what is going on in the sense that he knows whom he is addressing and simply commanding him to do things all the way up to temptation number three, where he says, bow down and worship me. The arrogance of evil, and never think that your own heart cannot go there, and in fact does not go there. It does. As believers, not as fully, certainly as unbelievers. But can you imagine exercising that kind of arrogance in the face of a holy God? And yet we do. So let's be reminded even here that Satan's pattern is our own unless it is tempered by the nature of Christ and the truth of the Word of God. The craftiness and the boldness of the tempter. Now let's look at the king's temptation. First, the challenge, Satan's challenge to the king. This is what he says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. The if here is probably not Satan questioning whether he is the son of God, simply saying, since you are, that's the idea of the if there, since you are the son of God, then do these certain things. Remember, it has just been said, God himself has stated at Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved Son." In whom I am well pleased. This has been made evident. This is who Jesus is as the God man still, and yet the beloved son of God. So he's saying this, you have certain prerogatives as the son of God. This is who you are. Why are you out here in the wilderness starving? Why are you out here hungry? You're the son of God. Take care of yourself. Where's the father? If you truly are the God man, if you are God in human flesh, then exercise your right as God. And refuse to be put in this position. Here you are, lonely, out in the wilderness, hungry. How can it, essentially, this what seems to be said here is how can you, as the Son of God, be in this position? You need to change it. If you are the Son of God, then command these stones to become bread. You have the power and right to meet your own needs. D.A. Carson says, Satan was not inviting Jesus to doubt his sonship, but to reflect on its meaning. Sonship of the living God, he suggested, surely means that Jesus has the power and right to satisfy his own needs. Essentially, he's saying, remember who you are. Have you heard that whisper? I'm talking about an audible whisper in your ear. I'm simply talking about the whisper of your own heart, which says, who are you that God should teach you to treat you like this? Who is God that he would treat you like this? How could he put you in these circumstances? You, You're important. You matter. And so why is God doing this to you? Change it. Do something different. You deserve better. That's essentially what's being said. If you are the Son of God. And is that not the root of most of your sin? I deserve better. God, how could you have done this to me? Why am I in these circumstances? Why has this happened in my life? Why am I like I am? I look in the mirror and go, I don't like that. I look at my circumstances. I don't like that. Here Jesus In the wilderness, alone, hungry, could easily have said, "I don't like that. I'm on I'm on a mission. I'm the Son of God. I've come to save the world, and here I am, hungry." Unless you think a man couldn't think that way, he could. That's why Satan appeals to him in this way, through the physical hunger and referencing his very deity to say, fix this situation. Please understand that although we cannot fully know what is going on in the heart of Christ here, we know that he was fully man and fully God, that he did not have a sin nature and yet had the weakness of flesh, this temptation is broad because the tempter knows that it will have impact. Otherwise it wouldn't be broad. He knows and understands that this is true. So he says, if you are the son of God, and now we see Satan's command to the king, Satan, the tempter, commands the king of kings and lord of lords, the God-man. He commands him. This is in the imperative. He says to him, command these stones to become bread. It's a command for Jesus to make a command. Do what I say. You're the son of God. Why are you starving? This is ridiculous. Where is your father? Why are you acting like this? You're the son of God. Make these stones. Probably points to the, the rocks that were around. Turn these stones into bread. He commands him. What audacity for Satan to command the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet this is what he does. He commands him to sin. He commands him to go against the will of the Father. Why? Because this is the command of Satan, not God. It's not God that has told Jesus to turn the stones into bread. Could God have done that? Certainly. Is it wrong for Jesus to exercise his deity? Absolutely not. We see that he does this in other places, many of them. He feeds 5,000 people, probably more like 20,000. He feeds 4,000, probably more like sixteen or 17,000 by miraculously providing for them food. So why can't he just turn a couple of stones into bread now? Because it's not the will of the Father at this time. It's the will of Satan that he do it at this time. And so he must refuse. And he does. And he does. It is not the time to use miraculous powers to produce Now, what are the implications? So, Satan's then implications to the king. What is he really saying to Jesus? There's at least four. I'll mention them briefly as we move towards Jesus' answer and response. It seems that he is at least saying, reclaim your divine prerogative. He is is telling the king he needs to reclaim his divine prerogative. Jesus should be acting as the beloved son of God. He shouldn't be going hungry. He shouldn't be without food. He should have the right to have an independent exercise of his attributes of deity. Simply do what you are the Son of God and can do. The purpose, says MacArthur, of the temptation was not simply for Jesus to satisfy his physical hunger, but to suggest that his being hungry was incompatible with his being the Son of God. Satan's aim was to entice Jesus to use his powers rightly, or excuse me, to use powers rightly his, but which he had voluntarily abandoned to carry out the Father's mission. Reclaiming them for himself would deny the self-abasement implicit in his mission and in the Father's will. Israel demanded its bread in the wilderness, but died there. Jesus denied himself of bread, retaining his righteousness, and lived by faithful submission to God's word. That's D.A. Carson. Now, very fascinating that this is similar to another time when Jesus is tempted as he goes to the cross, where it's not Satan, we don't see Satan directly tempting Jesus, but Jesus is tempted through the cries of the people as he hangs on the cross. Listen to Matthew twenty-seven forty. The people were walking by saying... You are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Exercise your divine power and right not to die. Satan is starting off with the temptation. Exercise your power and divine right not to be hungry. Not to have to suffer through these things that you are going to face. Really those hunger pangs being what? Certainly Jesus had been hungry before. But as he enters into his ministry are really the, the beginnings of the sufferings that he will face. You don't have to do this. Turn the stones into bread. Exercise your deity. So at least that, reclaim his divine prerogative, probably also, I think clearly also, doubt the provision and love of the father. The second implication is that the father has not moved quickly enough to care for and provide for his son. 40 days and 40 nights. In this way, the temptation is similar to that in the garden. Has God said that you shall not eat from any tree of the garden is what Satan said to Eve. Has God not provided for you properly? He hasn't given you you know, he, he begins by making that accusation, has not God made enough provision for you? And William Hendrickson says, this, this clearly was the tempter's sinister endeavor to destroy the son's confidence in his father's will and power to sustain him. What the tempter was asking Jesus to do was distrust his father and to take matters entirely into his own hands hands. And, and here again, we hear this echoed on the cross at the end, a similar temptation really in, in, the, in its final culmination in Matthew 27, 41. This is the chief priests. The chief priests also along the scribes and elders, the religious leaders were mocking him saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. he is the King of Israel. Let him come now down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Here they quote scripture at Jesus. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. If he truly is the son of God, why is the father abandoning him? It seems to be the same thing that Satan is saying at the very beginning. If you really are the son of God, why are you out of here in the wilderness? Probably bigger picture. Why are you on the earth suffering as a man if you truly are the son of God? There's something wrong with that. So Satan appeals to this to step out from underneath the father's provision and the father's love to accomplish his own work. So he seeks to cast into doubt God's goodness. Is that not what Satan also did at the garden? He's withholding from you. He's holding back what is really best for you. You surely will not die. Instead, you will become like God. Well, here he's just saying you are already God. So you must exercise your divine prerogative. Your father is not treating you rightly. This would then mean, really, the the implication from this, see, is that he would be departing from utter dependence upon the will of God. Somehow God's will has gone wrong. There's something wrong with it. It's not right. You're out here. You're hungry. You're about to begin this ministry implied in which you will spend your entire life this way. That is suffering the difficulties of your human flesh and going to the cross. It points to that. Don't go through that. Don't do that. You don't deserve it. You're the Son of God. Your, father, your father's will is wrong. Your father has gotten it wrong. Jesus had come to do the father's will, to trust him and submit to him entirely. God has clearly not commanded Jesus to use his powers in this way at this time. Clearly, that is, God has not said, use your power to create bread. Instead, Satan has commanded it. We can be certain then that it is not God's will at this time. R.A. France, excuse me, R.T. France says this. He understood his experience of hunger as God's will for him at this time and therefore not to be evaded by a self-indulgent use of his undoubted power as the Son of God. To do that would be to call into to question God's priorities, to set himself at odds with a Father's plan. As God's Son, Jesus must trustingly and obediently comply with his Father's wishes and his Father's purpose. Garth again says it was that absolute trust and submission that Satan sought to shatter. This is probably the fundamental nature of this temptation. Because if Jesus acts in any way according to his own will and not that of the Father, the Trinity itself is ruptured, if if such a thing could be. The absolute trust and submission that Satan sought to shatter, to have succeeded would would have been to put an irreparable rift in the Trinity itself. They would no longer have been three in one, no longer have been of one mind and purpose. In his incalculable pride and weakness, Satan tries to fracture the very nature of God himself. Because as Jesus comes as the God-man, Satan sees this as an opportunity to actually bring that about. Could he have? Would it ever have happened? Well, it didn't happen. We understand the impeccability of Christ that he could not ultimately have sinned, yet the temptation to do this is very real based on the weakness, the the physical weakness that is present, and the nature of the ministry that Jesus will undergo. And, And we know that Jesus understood where he's headed. This is just the beginning. Perhaps he is contemplating even here the three years that he will go through all of these things ever increasingly difficult until he reaches the final difficulty of actually having the Father turn his back on him as he bears the weight of the sins of the world. All of this I think in mind as Satan works hard to try to get Jesus to abandon this foolish to Satan proposition at the very beginning. Turn the stones into bread. Act like the Son of God. Act like who you really are. You deserve better. Again, this cry rings out in all of your ears continually throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout your life. You deserve better. Exercise who you really are. How many books could I hand you that tell you to do that? You walk into any bookstore and if you walk into any Christian bookstore, these are the books that you will see. Your best life now. Right? Turn the stones into bread. Stop going through this difficulty. You don't deserve it. And then probably summing all of this up, or really a, a bigger big picture as we maybe draw back a little bit to, to get the overview, the scope of what is happening. Certainly Satan was seeking to get the second Adam to, say, to fail like the first Adam did. Remember that Jesus is our representative, that he is the one who comes to live the life that we could not live, the life that Adam could not and did not live. Well, Jesus comes as a second Adam to accomplish that. Satan understands this and is seeking to get him to fail, even as he did the first Adam at the very beginning. In William Hendrickson, it was a wicked attempt to cause the last Adam to fail, even as the first Adam had failed. In both cases, in connection with food consumption. Isn't that fascinating? Food is at the root here. And again, because I think at some point, this is the most basic of things. Don't eat of the tree. What's the big deal? Turn some stones into bread. I mean, just eat a little bit of bread. What is the problem? And isn't that true in your own lives? Oh, the big sins. I don't do those. I'm not going to go commit adultery. At least not right now. I'm not going to go murder anybody. How about a little anger in my heart? How how about any way in which the will of God is revealed to me in the truth of Scripture, and that's going to have to wait for next week? How about any way in which God's will has been revealed to you where you choose to say at any given moment, I refuse. I know I'm not supposed to be angry with my spouse. I will be. I know I'm not supposed to exhibit rebellion back towards my parents. I will. I deserve better. That's the nature of what this is. Food. I will not turn the stones into bread. I will not eat from the tree. That's the will of God. But instead, we want to exert our own, I will turn those stones, I will eat from that tree. In both cases, the seemingly simple matter of merely satisfying hunger becomes the very stage on which eternal principles are built and life or death is found. I think that should drive us a little deeper in our rooting out of sin. I think that should make us a little bit more aware of what is going on in our own hearts when we choose to violate the will of God in what we would consider to be simple, basic, or perhaps meaningless ways. There is no meaningless violation of the will of God ever. All the way as basic as, I will not exert my seeming right to eat when it is not the will of God. What does Paul say? Whether I eat or drink, I do all to the glory of God. Of God. That is the scope of the Christian life, and that is what Jesus is modeling here. The scope is down to the very basics of, of, of the most fundamental human desires, even that of eating. This was not one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit caused Jesus to be tested exactly like this, that as the representative and savior of all of his people, he must in their stead triumph over temptation instead of succumbing to it as the first Adam had done. The pillar commentary, excellent commentary on Matthew says, what every, or excuse me, with every tree of the garden for food, Adam fell. With desert stones mocking his hunger, the second Adam conquered. And that'll have to be for next week as we consider the nature of Jesus' response. How did he fend off this attack of Satan, which to us seems in one sense so very basic, just exercise a little bit of power to eat some food because you're actually hungry. What can be the sin in that? How would that possibly be wrong? Oh, you know, it's us with a big picture. We're looking at this knowing scripture and looking at Matthew and seeing that it's Satan and seeing that it's Jesus and going, of course this is wrong. You guys, would that you would see your own temptation so clearly. Would that you would see your own propensities to sin so clearly. And yet, Scripture reveals them to you in that way, if you will search it, if you will know it, if you will take hold of what of the provision that God has given you. So, as as we come to communion this morning, I think perhaps we are brought to to I pray a little bit more sensitivity when it comes to the nature of our sin. Very simple decision to say I will eat, I will change the stones to bread, I will provide for myself outside of the will of God is the very nature, it's the very fundamental nature of the evil of Satan himself, I will, rather than God wills. So James, if you'll come, let's, let's consider communion seriously in light of this this morning.
1: Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King and the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.